0: Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your baseball is still not back home for all your Cubs news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. My name's Sarah Sanchez. I write about, I don't know, when baseball will be back and other assorted things for Bleed Cubby Blue.
1: (laughs) Good morning, guys. I'm Andy Cruz Vanasek, and happy Juneteenth. And also and not to rub salt in this wound right now, but I was just looking at the calendar and today the Chicago Cubs will be playing the Boston Red Sox. Sarah, did you realize that? I,
0: I did realize this because I was supposed to be in Boston. <laughs> so um,
1: I, kind, I kind of figured, I kind of figured.
0: Yeah. Uh, those or, or were those the games that were in Boston? No, in it's Chicago? home. Yeah, no, it was home. Chicago. Yeah. A, Chicago. A Boston yeah. friend was supposed to visit here. I think I've blocked all this out because it was like supposed to be such a fun time. And instead of it being a fun time, it's like the opposite. (laughs) So, we were
1: talking about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, yay for the series that I've been looking forward to for multiple years not happening. And instead, we're going to talk about all the reasons that baseball just can't get its act together. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. Maybe we should just jump into it. On Monday, every major league sport and commissioner got up with a plan with their players explaining how important their sport was to culture and society and major league baseball was Rob Manfred walking back that he was no longer confident. There would be a baseball season. And I just wanted to throw things at my TV.
1: Um, I mean, but honestly, I know I was, I was, you know, writing the, the positivity train hard last week when we were talking about how, yes, I felt like baseball would announce some sort of a comeback within the week. And I I got knocked off my peg pretty hard. I think over the last seven days, and I definitely can say that I'm not. I was not shocked, to be quite honest. Um, Rob Manfred obviously has shown us in numerous ways how he hates baseball, and it 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 just, you know, I don't even know what to say at this point. We've gone back and forth so many times, and. You know, everybody got so excited when Robert Manfred called a meeting with Tony Clark and Phoenix and, you know, things were going to happen. There was some (laughs) supposed handshake deal that, oh, yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to push both our sides really hard. We're going to have baseball, blah, blah, blah. Here it is two days later and still nothing. So I don't know. I don't even know what to think at this point. I mean, like, do I even get my hopes up again or do I just kind of trudge along and act like this is life now?
0: Well, I, I want to talk about the handshake deal thing because I'm not sure how to view that particular moment. Um, I wrote about this yesterday for Bleed Cubby Blue. I think that the leak of a deal was actually part of a negotiating tactic, trying to frame something as being closer to ready than it was, so it can look like the players are the bad guy for once. And frankly those type of tactics have no place right here. I I don't know if you saw it, Andy, but there was a really good piece in Sports Illustrated from Stephanie Epstein earlier this week talking about the, honestly, just the intransigency of the owners and how they keep coming back with the exact same offer for the players over and over again. Now, I don't know about you all, but that's not how negotiation works. If I want to buy a car from you and you're like, it costs $20,000, and I'm like, I'll pay ten thousand dollars, and you're like, No, the car is twenty thousand dollars. And I'm like, What if I pay you five thousand dollars now and five thousand dollars later? That's not negotiating,
1: right, <laughs> That's offering right?
0: the Exact same deal over and over again, which is what MLB has been doing. And the thing that really jumped out to me in that piece was she talks about how Sports Illustrated reached out to representatives from all thirty teams. Asking for interviews. Most of them declined. A few of them were just like, I've got a lot going on right now. Some of them just ignored it completely. Like nobody responded. And I get it. Rob Manfred speaks for the owners. So they feel like they shouldn't say anything publicly. But it is just unbelievable to me that this group of people who hold onto ownership of something that is, in my opinion, as much an institution and part of the public trust as anything, that's why baseball has an antitrust exemption and other sports do not, just feel 100% unaccountable to every single other person. They don't feel like they have to answer questions. They don't feel like they have to change their negotiating stance. And they certainly don't feel like they owe us baseball. <laughs> like they, they are baseball owners and they don't feel like baseball is a necessary component of life.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really tough pill to swallow because you obviously want them to value us as their consumers as their backers as people that are going to stay with them you know for years to come if this sport does eventually make it out of this which you know i i've read many places that people you know depending on what happens yet this season they won't make it out of this baseball will never be the same in the eyes of a lot of people and Um, I definitely see where it's going to have a black mark and it's going to have problems, you know, gaining that traction back with some of their fan base that they had lost in the 90s and the 80s and had regained at this point. And now it's like, you know, we're we're trying to help you, you know, keep this thing going and 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 really stay loyal to the game that we all know and love. But it's like, man, talk about making it hard. It's just it's been impossible to even even feel like you know we value it as much as we do when obviously the people that run it don't <laughs> you know it's just right. it's, it's such a yeah it it's it's such a conflict um for me because you know when I think of loving baseball, I think of you know loving baseball past tense. And what it was to me and the memories and all the things that came with baseball. And, you know, the game itself, obviously is easy to love. The players that we watch nowadays are, you know, so electric and so dynamic and and make it easy to love, but, I mean, you're taking that away from so many people that need that right now. And it's just, you know, and all the all the things that are happening in the world today, something that's so easy to give us a little bit of joy, a little bit of happiness, you would think they would be going above and beyond to do that. And it's just really hard to to grasp that, that that's not what's happening.
0: I mean, on that same program on Monday on ESPN that I, I was talking about towards the beginning of the show, when Adam Silver was speaking... I almost felt like he was just speaking directly to Rob Manfred. He should have just said, hey, Rob, let's sit down and get coffee, and I'll explain to you what your role is. Because there was this moment where he was talking about how – for those of you who are not basketball fans, Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA, which is a league that does not have declining viewership problems and does not have a problem reaching younger fans. And when Adam Silver was speaking about the return of basketball, he said a few things. But most notably, he was like, it's not about – a small amount of financial hit here or there, or who wins in those financial back and forths. It's about us being part of this moment for our fans. And and he said it much more eloquently than that. It was like two minutes long. I actually tweeted out the clip because I was just so stunned at the difference between Adam Silver understanding what NBA's role in this time could be versus Rob Manfred's like, I don't know, maybe I'm not 100% certain, we'll find out. (laughs) Um, God, it was so aggravating, but I really just wanted to be like, can Adam Silver sit down with MLB's owners for like five hours and explain to them what their role is supposed to be and why they need to stop worrying about a few million dollars here and there, because they are taking a trusted institution and quite literally telling us they're willing to light it on fire in front of us.
1: Uh, yeah, (laughs) that part too. I mean, you know, and, and I'm reading now just kind of scanning through social media. I'm reading some people questioning, um, the players being authentic when they were saying, just tell us when and where, because now they're kind of, you know, I mean, they have their, they have their requirements. They have what they're asking. I don't think what they're asking is a lot, especially because they're asking to give us more baseball. Why would I be mad about that? They want to give us ten more games. Why would I be upset about that? <laughs> at this, at this, this point of the year, at this point of life, this year, yes, I, I, I will take ten more games, please, and thank you for thinking of us. I mean, I know that's not what they're thinking of, but yes, of course, they want to put, they want to put themselves on the field for ten more games. So to me, it, it, I, I don't question them at all. I think it's completely fair. They have to, they have to do what's right, and they. You know, the demand was a lot higher a couple weeks ago, and now we've blown away another two weeks of potential baseball. And that number does have to get lower because, you know, the further we get into what would be the season. But I mean, I'm never going to be mad at the players for wanting to give us more games. I'm sorry. I'm just not. And I, I don't understand how we're even balking at this. This should have been a done deal. We should handshake. We should all be getting ready for spring training. It, it's just it, it's just a crazy sequence of events to me this whole week has been such a roller coaster with this nonsense
0: i totally agree with that i want to get to the when and where campaign in a second mostly because i'm 99 percent certain that a certain chicago cub had a hand in that um but before we get to that uh i wanted to talk a little bit about this piece in the athletic um from a couple of days ago jason stark looking at the fact that if you think the negotiations between MLB and the players are terrible now, wait until you see what is going to happen. And this is based on sourcing from a few different owners um, and some representatives from the players union. And it's got a lot of sort of projections for what could happen going into the CBA negotiations. I mean, it's pretty well understood at this point, I think, even though it has not been stated explicitly that a lot of this posturing is not about having baseball in the summer of 2020. It's about powering up your negotiating hands for that next CBA agreement, which is supposed to be negotiated after the 2021 season, which put a pin in that. Does anybody actually believe there will be baseball in 2021 if coronavirus is still around and there aren't fans and we're having the same conversation next February? But I don't want to depress anybody too much on this Friday. Um, The thing that Jason Stark said in here that I thought was just really interesting and potentially stunning is how this negotiation and the revenue shortfalls that the owners are claiming could affect free agency going into 2021. So if you thought the last few seasons were not great with players not getting what they were supposed to get in free agent money and players that you did not expect to be non-tendered, not getting offered a contract and becoming free agents It could have just been the tip of the iceberg. Um, One of the representatives that he spoke to predicted that something like 300 players might be non-tendered for salary reasons going into 2021. And that is an absurd number. That is orders of magnitude higher than what we saw in the seasons and the off seasons that we thought were bad rolling into 2019 and 2020. But What happens then to that entire free agent class, which includes names like Mookie Betts (laughs) and all of the players who should be getting a raise from like, I don't know, I'll take my favorite player from like 8.5 million to maybe 10 or 10.5 million are, would the Cubs really consider non-tendering some of their prized talent? that they cultivated in their farm system before 2021, just to cut salary given all of this. What do you think, Andy?
1: Um, I don't know. That was like a huge smack in the face right there because holy crap. I mean, can you even imagine what that would be like? I I mean, uh... (laughs) I'm like, I'm like trying to fight back tears right now because dear God, that is, that could actually happen. That's what's really scary. And this whole thing, like, I kind of saw the writing on the wall when this all started and you knew the second that we'd gone back and forth the first time that this was all, I mean, we knew even before that because we'd already been talking about the CBA coming up, but you knew that this was all going to be, kind of the precursor to what was going to go down for that, because this is basically whatever they can get away with or whatever they can strong arm the players into or whatever it is, you know, is going is basically the pathway that they're trying to put down for the CBA. So to have this right now already, just over what little of a season we can even get out of 2020 in thinking ahead into 2021 and what is expected with the coronavirus coming into the fall and the winter months, it, it is petrifying, honestly, of what, what could happen with baseball over the next year, year and a half, two years. I mean, it just, it, it absolutely makes my stomach turn because um, not even just speaking of the players, but just baseball, the sport. I mean, we, we really could be be seeing the last of baseball for a while and it's quite scary and it's, it's rather alarming. And I will really, really miss you. (laughs) I'll I'll have to come to Chicago just to eat pizza. Like that. It it, it makes me sad. I'm making jokes, but that's because I don't want to (laughs) cry. Andy, you're always welcome in
0: Chicago. I mean, I, I don't, it's not even a joking thing at this point though. Like if MLB, the MLB owner's position is that, their teams are just not viable without fans in the stands and they have to cut salary by such a draconian amount. I don't understand how they could do anything else. I don't understand why people think there would be a 2021 season. I don't understand why people think players are going to be treated fairly in the off season in terms of salary arbitration or in terms of tendering agreements. It seems like MLB owners are prepared to walk into the 20 to take the coronavirus situation, the pandemic situation, and use it as much as possible to walk into that 2021 negotiation, claiming they have just no money. They're totally tapped out revenue wise, and the players have to take a ton of concessions if they want baseball to be back. And uh, that is a pretty terrifying thought. It makes me wonder why they are in the business of owning. <laughs> Baseball teams, if they do not actually want to put on baseball games, it makes me wonder what is different about the ownership structure and the people who are in charge in baseball, as opposed to the people who are in charge in basketball, football, hockey, Major League Soccer, the National Women's Soccer League. WNBA, like every other sport has gotten it together here. NASCAR is already back. My dad is watching golf every weekend. Like I do not understand why the game of baseball has put itself into such a late capitalist hole. I'm so frustrated with these negotiations and I'm so frustrated with billionaires telling us they're broke.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not something that many people are buying these days. I mean, uh,
0: (laughs) We, are you telling me that you believe that the billionaires have some
1: cash? I mean, just on myself alone, and what I spend on going to baseball games, and what I spend when I'm at baseball games, I know they got money. <laughs> like I'm just, and that's just me. Like you know, I, there were seasons when I was I felt single handedly keeping the lights on at you know Miller Park or or here at Bush, but um, and definitely not Wrigley because obviously those stands are packed every game, but. It, it, it's yeah it, it that is such an unbelievable claim and for them to even go that route or make it feel that way or like you know and keep adding fuel to the fire when you go out on a limb and you mention things like well, owners don't really have as much cash stacked as what people think they do. Like, just shut up. Like, seriously, do you really think we're that stupid? I understand nobody's cracking open their books in in a quick manner for us to check out the numbers, but it it doesn't you know, take a, a rocket scientist to figure out how it works. If you have any kind of economics education at all, which to get through school, most of us have had to, you understand that there is definitely money there. And now it might not be... You know, the billions upon billions that some of us think, we know it's more than nothing. And we know, you know, that you are able to, you know, pay employees, pay players, still employ yourself. St- I'm still, you're still, I'm sure you're still cutting yourself a check. I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's not a hard concept. And I, I'm not dumb. And I get that there's money there. It's not probably what, you know, the majority of people think. It's, you know, not billions upon billions upon billions, but there is definitely money there. And I'm speaking, obviously, more directly to the family that owns the team we love, because we definitely know that there is a history of money there. I mean, there is a long line of of millionaires and billionaires and trust funds and all that nonsense that, you know, there's money there. There's definitely resources. So. And and I think it's also kind of goes back to the same issue we have when we're in offseason talks about extending people and signing contracts, and there's no money. There's no money. I mean, it, it's just so frustrating. It's very frustrating.
0: Well, you said a couple of things there that I want to hit on. So one is this idea of like, when we go to ga- games, we spend a lot of money, which is, which is kind of, to be fair to them, the owner's arguments that like, the money that we're spending at Wrigley or that you're spending at Bush and Miller Park are like, that amount of money is a huge portion of what they bring in. And and I will be as fair to the Cubs here as I can be with, and say that I do actually believe the big market teams that sell out every single game are getting a larger hit here than the teams that are not, right? Like if you are bringing in a ton of money because you pack your stadium or your ballpark every single day, yeah, you are you are taking a big hit there. However, the amount of money that you're making on TV deals and the amount of money that you're making on, like, your playoff TV arrangements and whatnot, your, mar- your licensing agreements for, like, all of the Cubs gear that we buy, right? Like, Andy and I, are, I, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I've spent some time on Fanatics this offseason, and I definitely have some gear that I was planning on wearing to Wrigley Field this year that I am not <laughs> going to be wearing there uh, anytime soon. Like all of that adds up as well. And so it's not like we don't recognize that they lost revenue on the job in terms of like ticket sales and all of that. The point is that if you don't open the books, it is really difficult to trust you that that amount of revenue is going to bankrupt the team, right? And I I just really don't think that that is the case, which is why we have players out there like Matt Scherzer, who is both a union rep and one of the players on the bargaining committee saying, show us your books if you want us to take this big of a pay cut. And the fact that they won't do that is kind of telling, right? Um, I also was reading a piece that talked about the difference between how you're accounting for your operating budget, because it seems like the owners would like to use the dollar figures, or at least reference the dollar figures that they won't show us, by the way, (laughs) um, that would most show that they're running like basically a zero balance on their teams. And this is sort of where we get the narrative of Theo only has so much money to spend in the offseason. He can't go over this soft cap that was agreed to in the last CBA. I mean, he kind of can if the Rickets have the money and want him to spend it. It's just one of those things where he's been given a budget and as a good steward of the team, he doesn't do that right? Just like when I'm given a budget for an event that I run at work, I try to stick to that budget or lower than it as much as possible. Does not mean that if I were to go over that budget slightly, it would bankrupt my job. It means that I was given a budget that I'm supposed to stick with it, right? And so I just think it's really careful, or we have to be really careful as fans thinking about w- what the knowns are here. Like we know what the players make, We know that the fans are not going to be in the stands. And what the unknowns are here, which is what the books look like and what the revenue actually has been for previous years, I'm sure there are some teams who are in worse shape than others. I'm sure there are some teams who are already borrowing for future seasons. I mean, that's literally what happens in economic downturn times. But, you know, when you're a billionaire, you have access to better credit and it's easier to get some of those loans for operating expenses in lean times, particularly when you have, you've invested in a business that is definitely going to make a comeback or will make a comeback if you don't light it on fire.
1: Yeah, that, and that's becoming a challenge for major league baseball. (laughs) Don't light it on fire.
0: How much are these teams going to (laughs) be worth if you don't play in 2020, you cut all your talent before 2021 because you don't want to pay them then either. And maybe you don't play in 2021 because there are no fans in the stands there either. I don't, Well, that is a depressing note to go to our commercial break on, but we are going to (laughs) take a quick word from our sponsors, and we're going to come back with the player side to all of this and some discussion of the Cubs draft picks from the five-round abbreviated MLB draft. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we're back, hopefully, with the more optimistic side of the episode. So if you made it through all of the will baseball ever exist again stuff in the first half – You have come to the right place for some optimism and fun stuff. Uh, The players have actually been really strong and like together through all of these negotiations. And in particular, the thing that's jumping out at me here is this when and where campaign that has seen like almost every major league star like retweeting or on Instagram saying, hey, we'll play when and where. And a friend of mine was sort of looking at, hey, what was the earliest one of these trying to track it down? And I remember that on the 13th, right after the MLB Players Association put their statement out with the line, tell us when and where, Ian Happ had one of the first tweets out there with a GIF from Rookie of the Year. (laughs) Ian Happ has been great lately. The players have been great lately. I love this campaign. I love hearing Sean Doolittle and Matt Scherzer, and Ian Happ, and all of these other players speaking out, I think it is something that is unique to this particular uh, negotiation. I don't remember a time where the players have been this vocal before. Andy, what do you think of it?
1: Yeah, I definitely, and and for those of you that may not have caught this, um, Chris Bryant was the the team rep for um, the Chicago Cubs, and he kind of asked Ian Happ to take over for him, which I think was such a brilliant move. Ian Hap does not have a young family right now to worry about. He's got some time on his hands and he has been very vocal on social media and not just in a way that fans love, but in a way that is really sending a message and um, been putting things out there. Like this win and where thing was such a great idea and a lot of players from the league ran with it and you saw that on their on their Twitter, you know, for a whole day, there was a, there's a ton of players that were posting it. So it's definitely a great move to have him um, doing something on social media, doing something where, you know, he's got, he's got a pretty loyal following and I think people are beginning to love him more and more now online as well as, you know, on the field. And I think that's important right now because there's so many messages that need to be put out there from people of influence people that have a platform and he's definitely one that's gotten some things going. So I love it. I love it. It's a great move. It gives him the confidence to, um, to be a a player, a leader on this team. And I think he is one that we kind of need that to pull that out of. I know notoriously he's been very quiet and kind of kept to himself and he does have a sense of humor. You can get that just from some of the things that we see him do in the, in the dugout um you think remember the toaster the waffle iron thing that was hilarious um but I I think it's important for someone like him on that team especially to to kind of come out as the next leader of the team um he's definitely somebody that can get a lot of playing time so he's going to be well respected on the field by his teammates so yeah I think this is a good role for him and I think he's got some good things to say he obviously has a great sense of humor and, it, it, you know, he's very smart. He puts the right things out there. So I love this. This is this is awesome. I think he needs to keep it up.
0: Yeah, I agree. I like seeing Ian Happ step into a leadership role. I'm really glad you brought up the player rep thing. I thought that was a cool role for him to step into. And since he has been out there um, on social media with a lot of this, I thought that that was a great place for him to be. You know, the other thing about, Ian Happens. I think he might just be really careful about what he says, and I think he might just be, that's probably a great trait in a labor negotiation. He has a podcast that he's been um, publishing recently called The Compound, I believe, and you should totally check it out after you listen to Cup of Cubby Blue if you haven't already, but they've been, they partnered with Obvious Shirts for some when and where shirts, and I don't know if our Obvious Shirts friends are listening. I love this shirt. I want to support it. Can you please make a women's cut, please?
1: <laughs> Full disclosure, I bought one already in the regular cut. I I am not as picky about it as I know you like your shirts the way you like your sh- shirts. And we all have our our things. But I loved it. I was like, I have to have it. <laughs> I I just went ahead and bought it.
0: <laughs> I mean, I it's not so much that I like and that picky. It's just that it, I wear men's t-shirts to sleep in and that's it. So, if I actually want to wear yeah. this thing, no, I, get I can it. like show people what it what it is, which I do, right? Like when it, like when and where. Yeah, I want to wear that. I want to wear that around the neighborhood. I'm not going to do that in a men's t shirt. <laughs> I do right. that. Well, in I men's mean, preferably v neck cut if you're listening. Look, right.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say, well, yeah, looking cute is a, a big part of why we wear what we wear. So, yeah, that's definitely, uh, <laughs> that's definitely, we need to get that on there, Joe. Get that going, bud. I mean, I just is it it, it, I feel like every time these cool
0: campaigns come up and it's not just obvious shirts, I don't want to like put them on blast. It happens with team gear. It happens with roto wear. It happens with baseball. It happens with every site, right? Like they have these awesome T-shirts that are only available for men. And I'm like, ah.
1: Anyway, yeah, it definitely is. It's it's frustrating. (laughs) It is definitely frustrating.
0: Uh, but back to the back to the shirt itself. I mean, this is a shirt that all baseball fans can agree on. Back the players, show that you back the players. Uh, get your one and wear shirt. And um, kudos to Ian Hap. I think that was a brilliant idea. I'm glad he did it. He, obviously, they aren't the only one and wear shirt out there, but we're repping this one because this is a Cubs podcast, and Ian Hap is a Cub.
1: Ah, uh, yes, and and obvious shirts are our people too. So that's true.
0: We like them even though this isn't in a women's cut yet. (laughs) I knew that
1: was coming.
0: (laughs) Um, Let's move on a little bit from the player campaign and from the discussion of whether or not there will be any baseball in the foreseeable future. Please, dear God, let there be some baseball. And talk a little bit about the major league draft. First off, Andy, what did you think of the very shortened five-round draft and how it went for the cuts.
1: Well, I've heard some people talk about this and it definitely, um, the shortened draft was definitely something I can get on board with. Now, obviously long-term, this is not going to be the norm. I mean, or or maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe somebody up there agrees with me, but I think if you want to keep the draft like, you know, what you see of, you know, like the NFL draft and the NBA draft, this is probably the way to do it, because this is such a a lost aspect of baseball. I mean, people like you and I will follow the draft, obviously, because we dive a little bit deeper, but the everyday fan, it, it does not even pay attention to the draft for the most part, you know, it's just not a huge part of, of baseball. And I think if they want it to become something that is a marketed event where people pay attention and want to know their minor leaguer's names or who they're, who they're drafting, who they're bringing from what, you know, college or high school, whatever, then yeah, definitely keep it succinct, keep it as short as possible, keep it, you know, keep the, the fans engaged. I think it was great in that aspect of it. As far as who the Cubs drafted, I'm really excited. Uh, I I feel like they kind of, they kind of get some deals here, which, you know, about time, I feel like, it, you know, for some players that that we're seeing now that we can actually get excited about. And I feel like Ed Howard, who I'm speaking of specifically, is somebody that across the board, I think I've read nothing but positives on. I haven't seen too many people be disappointed about that draft pick, so I'm really excited about him. He's a local kid, an infielder. I mean, he's very, very raw. We're not going to probably see him for a couple years, um, but he definitely he he's got he's got some. There's a lot of upside to him, and if you ever have the opportunity to go on YouTube, watch any of his his highlights, any of his tapes, oh my goodness. He has got the fastest release. He reminds me a lot, and I know, please don't shoot me, but he reminds me so much when he's throwing the ball. He reminds me of Javi Baez. It's just so lightning quick, and he has very long strides. So, you know, play up the middle is is, is going to be very, very explosive, very quick um, to those balls right up the middle. I mean, he just gets me so excited. I could go on and on about him all day. Um, but Burl Caraway is another one that you probably want to want to, um, look into too. I know, I, I don't know if you wanted to talk specifically about these players just yet, but he's one that we're hearing could even see playing time this year if a season does in fact happen. So, um, he's a lefty, um, you know, everybody has pretty much said he's somebody that's going to be a multi-inning reliever or whatever the Cubs decide for him, but there is a lot of. Um, a lot of opportunity there with him as far as getting some major league innings and just seeing what the kid can do. But he is, um, I mean, his coaches. I've read some of the things that his coaches have said about him. He was out of Dallas, bought Dallas Baptist. <clears throat> his coaches have said things like, "Um, smartest baseball mind I've ever coached. Uh, he he would have rewritten our record books talking about this season, um, had there been a season. It, it just." Those two especially just jump out at me as being very promising picks, whether it's um, trade bait later or, or or kids that we actually groom into an on-field product for the Chicago Cubs it just gets me very excited this year.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to start um, back at the beginning with just the length of the draft. I, you're right that from an interest perspective, having a shorter event is probably better for interest. I am really disappointed um, for all of the players who probably would have gone in the later rounds and who definitely would have gone for more slot value so if you're a player who would have gone through this in the sixth through tenth round you generally would have signed for somewhere around two hundred thousand hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year if you went undrafted after that fifth round and you got signed by a team you got twenty thousand dollars And we're hearing of teams wanting to push that contract to 2021 so they can get an extra year of eligibility out of these guys. I am beyond furious with that aspect of the draft because I think that it devalues players' talents and what they are worth so much. And these are already players who are going to have to spend some significant amount of time in the minor leagues making like $400 a week. So the idea that they're getting shorted on their signing bonuses and they're going to be making that little amount of money and they're being pushed to give up a year of eligibility just makes my blood boil. (laughs) I thought that from that perspective, the five round draft was a catastrophe for the future of the league. I mean, it's good for the league's owners this year it's good for the pocketbooks of those owners this year i think it's bad for the future of the sport um in terms of the actual players that the cubs drafted i totally agree with you uh that the cubs drafted some really really interesting guys and i actually liked the strategy of the draft a lot but before i jump into my thoughts on the strategy um andy i just want to give you a chance to respond to what i was saying about the monetary concessions that players who generally would have gone in like the sixth to 10th round. And that is a, those are major league players, y'all. Like Anthony Rizzo was a sixth rounder. Those players had to make some pretty huge concessions this year.
1: Yeah. It's not been a good year at all for the lower levels of professional baseball players. This has been really, really tough all around. And um, forgive me for not mentioning that because obviously that is a huge deal. Um, You know, it it really, I'm one that when I saw the, you know, when teams started cutting 30, 40 players from minor league teams and, and, and letting, telling them basically to walk. And you're seeing all of their goodbyes and their "this is it for me" and all of that stuff on Twitter. Like that is a really hard thing to to swallow. That's a really hard thing to see happen, and you just your heart just bleeds for them because it's like, man, that I mean, it's it just one thing after another this year. Nobody is catching a break at all here, and you feel for them. And and to have another situation like this where it's just another missed opportunity for for these guys. And and like you said, it, they're not just average ball players I mean there are some quality talent left out in those those late rounds and that will we may potentially not see for for a very long time now hopefully the ones that obviously are are extremely talented and deserve to be on a major league roster they don't get lost in the shuffle but as of right now I mean you know they there's no spot for them anywhere and and it, it that part definitely It definitely hurts, and and I I regret not mentioning that because that is a very huge part of it. But that is that is something that we have to think about and consider, and and hopefully the guys that are are meant to be on a major league roster will find their way back. But it's wow, I mean that is that is painful, and and there's a lot of good players that will not be in a major league uniform this year because of that.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder if some of those um, players will try their hand at taking their talent to Japan. Or Taiwan, or Korea, or one of the leagues that is playing (laughs) right now. Because frankly, I don't don't know why. It just seems like the next couple of years being a minor leaguer in the low levels in MLB might not be the greatest career move. (laughs) That's just I mean,
1: you you are not wrong. And that is so sad that that's even a thought at this point. But it's I mean, it is extremely true. And you're right. We're watching Korean baseball on on ESPN almost daily now. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you pack up your bags and go try and and get a job? I mean, I 100% would.
0: Yeah, so that'll be really interesting to keep an eye on. I think in particular, some of the, you know, doomsday scenarios we were talking about in the first half of the episode start to come true in the offseason. I think you will see some players just sort of take their ball across the Pacific uh, where they can actually play. Um, in terms of the Cubs signings, I love the Howard signing so much. I, As a general note, before I jump into specific players, I liked the Cubs strategy here. I think they went for really high upside guys, guys who could make a big impact, but maybe have a little bit more risk, which is not traditionally Ben Theo's uh, approach to the draft. Um, And I think that they went with some picks that were like, like just intense and exciting in ways that I don't generally expect from the Cubs. So Ed Howard being part of the Jackie Robinson West little league team that brought so much joy to the city of Chicago, now being a Chicago Cub, we'll forgive you for being a White Sox fan Ed. welcome to the family. Like this is going to (laughs) be so much fun. The fact that we watched this kid in 2014 run out onto Wrigley field, get a ball signed by Starling Castro, like hang out with the Cubs for a little while. And now he is a cub is just a great story. It makes me smile inside. It makes me happy. It makes me a little sad because I'm worried we're not going to have baseball. And these types of stories are the reasons I love and want there to be baseball. Um, But yeah, that was a brilliant first round pick. And I love it. I I mean, and you're absolutely right. The tape of Howard at short is just fire. And I'm so excited. He's going to be a Chicago Cub. I also really liked the Luke Little uh, draft pick. This kid throws 105, y'all. 105. (laughs) I was watching tape of this from the Pitching Ninja and I was just like on loop, just like, Oh my God, that's 105 mile per hour fastball. <laughs> it's just like mesmerizing. So I'm really excited that the Cubs, you know, they went big. They, they looked for some players that could have some big impacts. And I really like that strategy.
1: A hundred percent. And yeah, that you definitely need to mention 105 when you talk about Luke Little, his, um mostly he hangs out in the upper 90s but that 105 like watching that can you imagine being the batter in the batter's box when that comes (laughs) over the plate like oh my gosh I'm just thinking about this right now I mean major leaguers are eyes popping out of their heads when they see 101 102 but 105 Come on now. I mean, that's just not fair. <laughs> totally. That totally crazy. But yeah, we definitely, you know, and we've talked about this at length before, but our bullpen has definitely have been restructured and we definitely have some power guys in there now, but both, you know, both Luke Little and Burl Car- Carraway are players that, you know, you you want to see that, that type of reliever in our bullpen, some power guys that we haven't had for a while. And it's going to be, um, and I should, I should say Carraway is not necessarily a power guy but it, you know he the type of relievers that were drafted are definitely ones that you're missing the we had not had the that style of, of reliever in a while so it, it will be nice to have these guys come up in the system and even if something happens to where there's not you know opportunity for them they're they're going to be good trade pieces if that's the route that they choose to take but i mean just 105 i mean it's it's just not fair <laughs>
0: How many times can we say 105 in this episode No,
1: (laughs) Right. Well, we're getting close.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Uh, Having those impact arms in the bullpen or in the rotation, just it it makes a big difference. And I'm glad to see the Cubs pursuing that strategy. To wrap up, before we wrap up this episode, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the absolute disaster that was ESPN's 30 for 30 long gone summer. I was so excited for this. I was on the edge of my seat, made popcorn, had my wine ready, like so excited to sit back and relive the summer of 1998, which is one of my favorite summers as a baseball fan, only to have it be just such a sloppily done cardinal centric production. And I'm just I'm angry about it. I want some Cub, some enterprising young Cubs videographer to go out and remake this well with actual footage from 1998 and not screw up the editing.
1: Can I say, I think I read this. I think I read this yesterday. Maybe even you shared this. Didn't the actual, um, I don't know if it was the writer or the producer, but didn't somebody that was closely involved with this actually come out and say, Sammy Sosa had way more of a story than he was given in this, and somebody probably needs to shed light on that? Wasn't there something to that effect said?
0: I mean, I haven't read this, so tell me more. I I percent I no, agree.
1: <laughs> yeah, somebody shared it on Twitter that he did a sit down. I don't know if it was like a Zoom type interview or what it was but the producer or the writer the director somebody closely involved with this 30 for 30 um and i'm being really messy right now about how i'm saying this but it's some i, I should have wrote this down mentioned that there is a lot more of a story behind sammy sosa and somebody should do that and the person who tweeted it said aren't you the one who did this <laughs> like, like sh- shouldn't you shouldn't it have it have been your job to do that like i don't know look it up. If you can find it, I'm going to try and find it now because I'm being very messy about this, but I, I agree. I didn't even waste my time. Honestly, I'm not even going to lie about this for many reasons. And as you all know, I live in St. Louis, so I'm tortured on a daily basis. I did not want to put myself through another form of torture by watching this because I think after the first couple of reviews came out, cause I, I you know, obviously the Michael Jordan, I, I was not missing that. There was no way I was missing that. I've watched it twice already now, but <laughs> This, because it involved Mark McGuire and all of the controversy surrounding the whole situation, not just with Mark McGuire, with Sammy, with, you know, the rivalry of of Chicago, St. Louis. And 1998 was my first summer here in St. Louis. So I was here. I lived it. I remember very well what it was like to be a Cubs fan in St. Louis during that time. And I just didn't want to put myself through it if it was something not worth putting myself through, which come to find out it wasn't. So I may eventually go watch it just because, you know, curiosity killed the cat. But it's one of those things where it's just it it, it needs to be accurate. And I understand, you know, from a St. Louis perspective, everybody was like, well, they had Michael Jordan. They just had a whole storyline of Michael Jordan talking about Chicago, the city of Chicago. OK, that does not change The way that this went down, that does not change the way that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa battled that entire summer for the record. That does not change any of that. So, yeah, that's fine. You can make some 30 for 30 that makes Mark McGuire look really amazing and blah, blah, blah. But at least get it right from both sides of it, you know, get it right. And obviously, you know, when you're making a, a movie, when you're going back and doing things like that, you want to make sure that it's as accurate as possible you want to make sure your viewer feels like that they were there during that time if they weren't and this was not a good job of that i mean just by looking at some of the the clips of the editing pictures that friends have shared that were supposed wrigley field in
0: 1998
1: oh my god uh wrong Not true. Sorry. That's bad. I mean, also obvious
0: like Wrigley Field had like, okay. The Ricketts ownership group had to go to federal court to get those video boards up in 2015 and 2016. Like it was a big fight. It was a fight that was known about nationally. The ballpark looks fundamentally different now than it did then. And so the idea that you're like going from a shot of a home run that goes out in nineteen ninety-eight and all of a sudden you can see the video boards is like, no. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's bad. I mean, I guess if they're, they're when you put something like this together and you do something like that and you add, you make sure that it's not clean in the sense that obviously an entire fan base knows that that's not what it looked like. You're presuming that the majority of your viewers are going to be people that wouldn't know that. And I'm sorry, but Chicago Cubs fans are loud and they're not quiet about stuff. And they're definitely going to put you on blast when you try to pull some stuff like that. So you're not getting anything past anybody when you try to slide that stuff into, you know, the summer of 1998,
0: we know, we know. Yeah. Well, totally. And like, Look, you cannot show a Sammy home run, like go out onto Waveland and then show a crowd shot of people in Chris Bryant and Ben Zobris jerseys. Like that is right. just, <laughs> it's so bad. I, I don't understand. Thirty for, And part of this is because 30 for 30s are usually so well done that it's just jarring when they're not well done. And it's one of those things where it's not like there's a shortage of stock footage from 1998. There's a ton of footage from that season. The Cubs had every game on WGN. The Cardinals had a ton of games recorded. Like, it is easy to go out and get that footage. I'd rather see footage that's old and grainy than have you pull HD stock footage that I know isn't from 1998.
1: Well, my thought on that is, and I was kind of surprised by this fact when I had read it, but um, apparently the Michael Jordan 3430 30 was done like the Thursday before it aired. Like they had just finished it the Thursday before it aired. So um, I've, I I kind of feel like ESPN is a little desperate for ratings at this point, obviously, because we are without sports. So they're running out of things that they can surprise and entertain people with. So this I mean, I know it's been in the works for a while, but do you feel like maybe they just kind of threw it together there at the end to get it going and have it, you know, have it One air favorite. while people are still at home? Yes.
0: I think that's exactly what they did. And I think as a result, it just wasn't very good. Um, and, and it wasn't just the footage stuff. I mean, that's sloppy editing and it shouldn't have happened. That was bad. It was also the amount of time Sammy Sosa got versus Mark McGuire. It was also failing to set the frame. Of how important 1998 was for making up for the last strike and cancellation of a baseball season in 1994-95, um, and so it was just it was just all of that. It was all of it, and I was like, "Wow, you had such a great story to work with, and some really cool material, and tons of footage you could pull." And this is what you came up with instead. It was just it was just tremendously disappointing.
1: Uh yeah, I, I like I said I have I haven't watched it. What I've seen in the reviews and the people I I know and respect that have I, I'm okay. I, I'll watch it someday, <laughs> but I'm not in a hurry. Yeah,
0: reasonable. I don't blame you. Um, I'm sure there will be some other sports on soon. I'm really glad that I went out and purchased a Bruins pride hat so that I can wear that this summer since hockey will be back. Uh, if baseball decides that they would like to join hockey in returning to play in 2020. You will hear about it here first on Cup of Cubby Blue. Andy and I have been ready and willing to get that emergency pod fired up for weeks now. So TikTok MLB. In the meantime, you can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at at BRYZ underscore blue. You can find both of us at at Cup of Cubby Blue. And we will be back hopefully sooner rather than later to discuss whether or not there will be baseball in 2020. Bye.